Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I'm so excited to get to talk to Tony Tresca. Hey there. This is a podcast for the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us today for our conversation about 2023's Mave Fly. And for all of you out there who are cringing at how we've said it, perhaps you say the, the character's name a different way. Perhaps even CJ Lead, if you're listening, perhaps you say it a different way. If so, feel free to write in to the podcast. We'd love to have you on air uh, to set the record straight. But we've decided to say that Mayfly. That is the most shameless <laughs> plug ever. That, that is such a great way. As we've insulted your work, if you want to come on the episode, we'd be happy to have you join us. I like that. As, you, as you're going to hear, CJ, we quite love your work. It's a, This is such a delightful book. So th this is a good one to start, kind of start our conversations back. It's been a little bit since we've gotten to talk on the podcast. been a while and and this was a good one to come back to you know that that line about like for better or worse giving us nightmares this this is a book that's that's going to linger for quite some time in all the best and most traumatic ways yeah that's a pretty good way to put it i knew your pitch to me when you kind of were like we need to we want to do a book we were talking about which books we wanted to talk about you said i really want to talk about this book i've heard it's kind of like American Psycho, uh, the female version of that. And it was a pretty good pitch in and of itself. And I was just gonna say, the, the, those are, uh, there were three things I knew. I knew that she knew Grady Hendrix well enough that he was an early reader. I knew that Stephen Graham Jones had blurbed it. And I knew that at least one description was that it was the female version of American Psycho, a book I still haven't read, right? You and I have seen the movie, we've talked about the movie, but I would be interested now in going and reading that novel and really seeing whether or not that's a fair assessment to Mayfly or whether that actually like reduces Mayfly's power because it might do that too. It, it's interesting. You, we can talk about this a little bit more uh, explicitly in the influences section when we talk about Leeds kind of recorded influences because she's actually very referential to the book and she's very much does model it off of that and while she acknowledges that she's seen the movie and she is that is something that she plays with it is definitely more in the spirit of the book so i think i am actually much more interested after having read this book in going back to that text particularly in the light of that content to know that she thinks yeah. so highly of it as she as she was writing this because I was a little hesitant to pick up the book because one of the things I like about the film, right, is that it's got a female director and, you know, much to the chagrin of people who are like, no one could take this super masculine story and tell it except for another man. So I, I had a sort of natural reaction that was against reading the novel. But but you're right. This book has made me want to go read it, which is quite a, I mean, a feat unto itself. But before we get further, will you give us one of your excellent spoiler lists? summaries yeah so Maeve is kind of she's living in LA she is living with her grandmother who or living is probably the wrong word to describe what her grandmother is doing uh, she's in a coma <laughs> and 
She is taking care yeah. of her in her fancy apartment. Her grandmother was this kind of extravagant actress uh, in LA, pretty famous for a couple of roles, but always kind of on the outside of things. By day, Maeve is working at the happiest place on earth, uh, and for legal reasons, that's all I'll say uh, in terms of the name uh, of where she works. And she plays a certain blonde ice queen, uh, along with her best friend in the park, who is an aspiring actress to be. Everything's kind of going pretty good for Maeve. She's loving life. She loves her job. She maybe doesn't love her boss, who can be a bit much and overbearing. But things are going good. Uh, And then, all of a sudden, her best friend's brother arrives in town uh, and kind of forces perspectives and positions to change along with some other things that happen throughout the novel this uh, this read makes it sound yeah. like it's kind of light-hearted and fun it's pretty yeah it sounds dark. like a rom-com that you're um, describing yeah i know yeah. actually I, I gave it a really light read uh, there's also a lot of really gory murder there's some disturbing scenes with like a pipe Ooh. that i will literally never get out of my head so thank you no. for that <laughs> yeah and you said you told me that you were reading that scene while on a plane next to like a baby. I was. So uh, deep in the book, I'll keep it pretty spoiler free because if you are going to read it, this it's an experience you should definitely have yourself. Uh, and you will yes. remember, uh, I was reading a, a scene that, ha- that happens late in the book. It's a torture scene with a boss. And I was, yeah, I was reading it next to a small child on a plane and it just felt so, I felt so dirty and wrong. That scene in and of itself is is incredibly explicit and disgusting and hard to read. And then I was just seeing this child like giggling and laughing and I'm like, oh my gosh, you have so much innocence and joy. Maeve would hate you. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. Yeah, that's a very awkward scene to read in in anyone's company, let alone a, a small child's. So I like I like the fact that you gave this rom coming feel to it, right? Because in, in many ways, that, that is the layer that's on top. And I think that that's one of the things I really liked about the writing of this is that I have read a lot of horror where they do such a, a effective job of making us hate the main characters that I'm like, why am I going to keep reading this book for another couple hundred pages? Because this person is just deplorable. And my experience is like, I'm not having a good time. But I don't know if it's the fact that Maeve really loves her job Mm -hmm. at the happiest place in the world, or if it's the fact that in one respect, not the murdery respect, but in the like Halloween music and Halloween respect, I and probably most people that are reading um, this book can really relate that this is like our favorite time of the year. One year for Halloween, we threw a party and everyone got a mixed CD with like all of our Halloween jams on it. So like, you know, this is something that I can definitely relate to. But there is a, I don't want to say purity, that's not the right word, especially considering the things that Maeve does. But there's there's a, a joy to her that makes her an enjoyable character to read. Yeah, I would say that, again, like, she definitely at least starts the place. She's really stuck, of course. Like, she's living, like, a life on repeat, essentially. She is, like, right. we should literally, she starts the book, she's work. I mean, again, I, I gave it a really glamorous read. I guess I left out some important <laughs> details of her day-to-day life. Uh, she's going to work. She is torturing people via text and ruining, tr- attempting to ruining, to, like, ruin their lives via, like, outing mm-hmm. these like 
Trumpers uh, online and like these people, like I, she, other people as well, perhaps like some pedophiles or stuff. She's kind of they mentioned that she does this kind of the pattern behavior that she'll just find people online, get really close with them, form an intimate relationship. And then use their secrets and like out them on Reddit or something. So she's doing that. Right, right. She's also getting really drunk at a bar that's a really strange bar with like someone who yes. is maybe may, is or is not Johnny Depp. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite gags in the book. And I, I couldn't, I, I'm yes. like, I don't understand. I can't even sure. I'm not even sure I quite understood it, but I just love the LA-ness of it. And the like, yes. maybe it's a famous person. Maybe it's an imitation isn't that the like, point does of the city? It matter? Yeah. So I lived in Riverside, California, which is somewhere between 30 to 90 minutes away from LA, depending on traffic. And, and I went to school out there for my undergrad and master's. And, you know, I didn't make it to LA as much as, as I should have considering how close I was. But at the time it felt very far away because the traffic was so horrendous. Parking's bad. And LA is so, so sprawled that like, it's not like you can just park and kind of easily take in the city. You really have to know where you want to go. But reading this book made me regret that I didn't take the time to get to know LA a little bit better, that I didn't really sort of like I never went to the tar pits. I should have. I would have liked that a lot. I never even made it to Universal Studios mm. to like the rides. And again, it was just because that's what happens when you're in college. It's really hard sometimes to get out of your bubble. And also, all of my friends were instead going to the happiest place in the world. Um, and so I had a I had a membership to there instead. So we did that an awful lot. But it was really interesting reading this this love letter to LA and mm -hmm. and all the weirdness of it. Right? Like, yeah. not once was lead like this is a completely normal city. It was like here's the strip club within the strip club that is within the pirate ship. Right. You know, uh, and that was just interesting. Yeah, and she kind of juxtaposes that because with like. Her uh, her friend's brother, and I should have forgotten the, her name. Gideon. Kate and Gideon. Right. Yes. Yeah, her friend Kate's brother, Gideon, comes in, and he's from New York. And so he comes in with a very judgmental eye. So it's really nice yes. to get to see. It, it, it's a fun thing that Lead sets up in which she, she lets us see the city from these two clashing perspectives. And Kate, who is yes. kind of seeing it, everything with this really rose-tinted glasses because she's trying to get a favor of the producers and the directors and the live her dream. She's uh, there's a great line is everybody has their gods in here and their things they're chasing after yes. and things that they create. It's just about what that is. And hers is definitely yes. Hollywood. She is chasing that specific vision of Hollywood. Kate is Gideon's at first. Yeah. He's very hesitant to it. He's like, it's all fake. It's all kind of, although in his conversation, he does kind of intimate that he's just saying some of that to rile Maeve up. Right. Yeah. So, but, but you're right. He at least is able to instantly rile her up because that's such a outsider perspective, right? Of LA that it's like cultureless. And, and I love that sort of tirade she goes on where she's like, literally, if there are humans, there's culture, the end. Yes. Um, and then she's like, and also, by the way, we like have started Hollywood. So I just, I thought it was just really interesting to see that tension at work because even though it's clear that, that Maeve loves LA, the author also did a good job of, of being sort of agnostic about whether or not anyone's dreams are, are good or bad, right? I mean, she's never, they never really judge Kate for, for choosing to make the sacrifices that she's doing, but they also acknowledge very much that she is definitely 
allowing herself to be hurt um, in pursuit of her dreams. Mm -hmm. But also, isn't that what it means to have dreams, right? Is to be willing to, to be hurt. So I just thought it was really sort of sophisticatedly handled this this complication that is L.A. Uh, in this book, which is really, I think, one of Leeds' greatest strengths is, throughout is, is that these things that I'm not sure how I should feel, Lead made it harder to make that decision. Yeah, because I really think there's like four central characters. It's like we've obviously got Maeve, Kate, Gideon, and then L.A. itself. I guess you could maybe yeah. say like even the happiest place on Earth itself is another sub-character, but I think... It yes. fits more in, it fits really cleanly within LA as like a larger character. And I guess we don't have to adhere to the same legal principles that the author sure. does uh, in, on the pod. We're talking about uh, The Mouse House, Disneyland. We are. Um, yes. Herself. Uh, and it's a, she mentions in, a, in an interview that she, or a conversation that she did with Ariana Reach, who is the author of another book, also about theme parks that came out. Uh, a uh, quick shout out to at the end of every day, a kind about that. She did a really fascinating conversation uh, with her in June twenty eighth, twenty twenty three, on Crime Reads. We'll throw a link to that uh, in the description yeah. um, of this. It's a really great conversation in general, and she talks about how she she went through with her. Uh, she sent a version over with all the names in of all the characters originally. Nah. So there is a version out there of Mayfly that's, that's got all that in there, but. Uh, so she went through and then worked, obviously talked to some legal folks and changed things to make yeah. it more like that. But yeah, she plays Elsa and her friend Kate plays Anna at this amusement park. And mm -hmm. she has a fantastic, she is utterly fascinated by the park and the people who inhabit it. It's like a, there's like a meta conversation in here happening about nostalgia and Disney adult um, that's taking place within the context of the park and playing out. And I think nostalgia not in the way it's come to be associated in like current culture nostalgia in the wartime sense of the word yes. uh, that it was originally used and that it's like a longing for a home that doesn't really even exist and anymore or yeah. this fakeness uh there yeah so when the, the coin was termed right it was absolutely coined to describe these soldiers who were exhibiting physiological as well as psychological illness because they they didn't have that that sense of past and home anymore, right? Because they were they were no longer at home, no longer felt like they had a home now that they've been out and about. And yeah, I think you're right that that this book really asks us to consider, you know, can can we have nostalgia for something that's fabricated? But then again, isn't everything fabricated? And actually, I think that it may have been harder for her to not just like say Disneyland every time and to find some obscure way to do it. But I actually think it made for a more powerful read because we knew exactly who she was talking about, what she was talking about, where she was talking about. And it just further made her point, Yeah, right? That this is a place that has power that is really unlike anything else in the world. Yeah, there is some, Disney gets a lot of bad press now uh, for a lot of, for a sure, myriad sure. of reasons. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's CEO Bob, Bobby boy is a real Real piece of shit. Yeah, and, and he's like saying some real terrible stuff right now about writers and actors and getting all and yes. getting involved in a lot of really bad stuff. So you know, but for at its core, it really did create a lot of these incredible core memories for so many of us. I'm mean, like, I'm not going to sit here and try to lie to you and say that I didn't grow up watching like Aladdin or or Cinderella sure. or Snow White or stuff like that. Those things definitely sure. were the bedrock of my childhood. And I did, I did have a pass 
I, I don't think I'd be able to afford a pass anymore. It's so, so expensive now. But I did have a pass for the few years um, that I was out there at school. And it's interesting because that's a whole separate culture, right? So there's the people who come for vacations. And then there are these folks that they, that's where they go every weekend. Um, and, and that's where they go. And there's, you know, and they go and they swing dance and they go and they, you know, participate in these like cultural moments that are cultures within cultures. And that was really a huge part of what I think Lead was exploring is this idea of, of community, but also community that's, that feels that it can be hard to feel like you belong in, right? Because Maeve talks a lot about how lonely she feels and how worried she is that when her grandma dies, when Kate becomes successful because she believes that she will, mm -hmm. she's very worried that she's going to be isolated, despite the fact that she's probably physically touched more at the park every day in one day than most people probably are touched in like a week, right? It's, it's true. It's like something incredibly individualistic and isolating about the even, yes. even in that communal space and experience. It's like, it's kind of in the background, but there is always that element of like money and the payment into the park yes. and like who gets to come in and whose vision and nostalgia is being supported and upheld here within the park and on Main Street. It's a really nuanced conversation and it's kind of impressive that this is Leeds' first, her debut book, uh, debut novel. Yeah. She's written pieces before, She's, but this is her first kind of full-length book uh, that she's gotten to release. And I, I, I mean, again, like we read, we read a lot of stuff from like debut authors. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like she, for, she's got a real sense of the craft. She's got an MFA in creative writing from Columbia University, which sure definitely helps. And she, in her undergrad, this was probably one of the things, something I found really interesting. Uh, she got a BA from NYU in mythology and the Middle Ages, which I think really came through cool. in this book. Because I feel um, Dis Disney and itself is almost treated as this mythological creature and this like myth, yes. this cultural myth within our society that is both upheld, it's true, and it's not true, like all good myths. Yes, yeah. And it has become a religion, right? But a man-made religion, as all religions are. Yeah, I think that... What I find interesting about the fact that she has an MFA is that, you know, I know a lot of genre writers that that either struggled through their MFA program or, or eventually realized they couldn't get one because a lot of MFA programs are like about writing literary non literary fiction, right? Whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And I just all I can imagine is that scene with Liz and the pipe and and like workshopping that in class. <laughs> like, could you imagine how traumatic that'd be that it'd be like actually I think you should have more, right? Or like, I just can't imagine so somebody, what that somebody raises the like. hand. Like, yeah. what if um, what if you added a mouse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I just that—that's what I picture in my head. You know, in Colombia, like you know, this in the prestigious halls, and like, I just can't get that that image out of my head, and it tickles my fancy because I feel like it would have been hard for her to find this voice in a program where a lot of other people are not going to be writing anything like this right that's interesting that's interesting uh she's a pretty new author so she doesn't have a ton of interviews out to kind of look in so she doesn't i haven't from what i had read to my knowledge she didn't talk hasn't talked about her kind of educational experience at all so certainly in her in her credits not credits and her thank yous she does say thank you to a lot of her faculty yeah it was about uh, which makes me think that it was probably one of the only non-toxic mfa programs i've ever heard of because again everyone i know who's most everyone I know who's gotten an MFA has talked about how traumatizing yeah. that 
community was. Um, I was about to say, but but it's just interesting. On page yeah. two, the only the only thing I could find was on page two seventy six of the acknowledgement. She like she literally shouts out the wonderful professors at Columbia and NYU. So yeah. to my knowledge, it seems like it was a pretty, it must have been a fairly good program to go yeah. through. It just cracks me up so. to to imagine like, like you said someone raising their hand and they're like i have an idea <laughs> and then like just workshopping that for for a good hour absolutely um it probably doesn't surprise you that uh lead is she can be found in la she that's where the she that's her stomping ground at the moment she lives yeah. there uh she got four rescue dogs uh, which she talks about in a couple of her interviews <laughs> that does she says very much inspire her work keep her going and along with this book she's got two more horror novels uh so, excuse me, along with uh, Madfly, CJ also has uh, three more horror books coming out from Nightfire, wow. which is a publisher. She uh, she told talked about that in an interview uh, that she did with Paul Sealman. Uh, it was a really fascinating, really, another really good interview. We'll also throw that in the link here from June 6th, uh, 2023. You were going to talk something about Nightfire. Right. And she's got two, she's got... Uh, Ask, she's already turned in one book to her editor. She turned it in last October of 2023, and she's working on two more books simultaneously at the moment. So wow. no rest, uh, no rest for the weary. I want to shift and talk because your your comment about how she has rescue dogs made me think of Lester the cat and the fact that you know one of the the boundaries that doesn't get crossed is, is any harm to animals. But that doesn't mean that boundaries aren't crossed. And one of the premises at the very beginning of the book is that that Maeve sort of goes on this rant and, and how much of this is Maeve and how much of this is lead, you know, um, is open to interpretation. But about this idea that like, it seems like we can't help but make sure that women, if they're going to be cast in, in villainous roles, that they either have a tragic backstory or they're going to have some sort of redemption arc. Often in like Victorian novels, the they would just like literally die of like just guilt um so they would like save the day and then they would like just lay down and be like i'm sorry that i was promiscuous and then just die um and so you know this is like not a new thing and, and of course she's referencing this strong literary tradition um which is one of the reasons that Maeve is so attracted to, to elsa because she feels like this is the closest to this sort of liminal villainous princess character uh that we have today but there are still lines right that that Maeve crosses that are ones i didn't need to have seen be crossed and and I feel conflicted because I actually, I had no problems with any of the murder. Um, I don't know what that says about me. I had no problems <laughs> with any of the gore except for the scene with Liz. Yeah. And I think, and it's not, it's not just because I got to imagine some things I hadn't imagined before, but I think it's also because there's a part of me that feels like that's the one thing. This is so, this is so weird, but that's the one thing a woman shouldn't do to another woman, right? It's because every woman has the potential and is often the victim of, of some sort of either sexual abuse or sexual assault that that's like the one line you don't cross. Like it's okay to kill another woman. You just don't do that. And that's silly, right? That, and I, that's probably why lead made us go to those places. But I, I struggled as a result with how to feel about Maeve because that was the line that up until that point, I was I was here for all of it, whatever that says about me. No, I, I I would not be shocked if that's a super common. I had a very similar reaction. I I had to put the book yeah. down. Like I told you, I was on the plane. I like literally had to put the book down and stop for a little bit. Oh I mean, it's it's horrifying for all for every for all, every reason that we're talking about here. It's like 
utterly repulsive that a human being would do this. And Lee talked about it that in her conversation with Ariana Reich, she was like, I think I, one of the things I wanted to tap into, the things that really scared me was harming another person. That is what scares me mm. is like what it, it's like the ability of a human to do that. And she's like, so I wanted to go there. She's like, that's what scared me. And that's what, and I think I, as uncomfortable as it was, I think it's incredibly effective. I mean, also oh, should be acknowledged that it's incredibly gruesome and super effed up. Like I am not yes. going to be able to think of Mickey Mouse ears the same way and any of yeah, that. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. So thank you for that again, as I think I said, I said earlier, but in, I'm in the best way, I think, because I, yeah. I, I don't think, again, maybe some people are going to be like, no, just too far. Like, cause I, I, part of me was one, was another thing I, I, I saw in conversation, as when people talk about this in the conversation, she's talked about it herself is like allowing women to do the killing in this sense, doing the same mm -hmm. thing and not creating, like you were saying, not creating an empathetic kind of reason and rationale behind it. And I, I guess there's, I mean, maybe it's fool, maybe this is just na naive of me. Maybe it's just like, that's just not how things work. You should don't ask for that purity in novels. That's what horror books are for, to explore these dark, dark yeah, things. Yeah, that's that. true. Uh, but it's pretty that's effed true. up, so. There's a, a line in there when Maeve is, um, I believe it's when she's killing the, the band that is using her, her grandmother's image on the cover. Yeah. And she says that the, the one band, it's either him or it's, it's Daniel or David, whoever Kate's with. It's one of the two. Um, but it is a man. It is one of the men that she, that she kills. And he says... He keeps saying, why me? And she has this line where she says, that's not something a woman ever asks because a woman understands that that's always something that can happen. But there's a privilege to, to for many men where that's not even something that they consider, you know, and, and I've, I, I think we've all been in part of, of conversations where men and women have very, very different ways of, of just like going outside, right? Mm -hmm. And like the amount of awareness that, that a big burly man has about his surroundings and, and, a, and a woman um, does and the tensions that that happen when people try to express like well why don't you just walk outside and go for a run and it's like because I don't want to die um yeah so I think I think it was really interesting in that way because I do wonder I don't think I would have had the same level of, of repulsion certainly I would have to the event itself in the description but like I think part of what offended me is that it was a woman doing it to another woman. And that again is part of Lee's point, right? Of of is that actually is that fair, right? Is is the fact that that Maeve is is very sexual, that she is enjoys a, a lot of intriguing sexual things, but mainly um consensual. Yeah. Right? Like, is it, you know, like is she is being crafted in a certain way that we just wouldn't cast that same level of judgment to if this was, you know marty fly or something like that yeah and it is i guess ultimately i guess interesting in that regard because it is i guess ultimately that you could argue that the bot her her boss does the ultimate evil other evil thing too in taking down another woman yes. for her sexuality exactly. you're like so i guess it's yes. kind of like this it's a really bad situation that has been created all around because liz definitely comes is somewhere she's not supposed to be uh, and does then yes without consent take video uh like which is that's actually that is pornography that and it, it's just it is so i guess i mean i don't know one way and there's a hint that this is yeah go ahead yeah and there's a hint that this isn't liz's first sort of foray into pornography right because there's some incriminating photos and i think you're absolutely correct in fact what i liked about mave's initial sort of thoughts about liz is she said like 
I hate Liz. Um, in fact, she said, if ever there was a more deplorable person than Liz, I don't know who it is. And she's my nemesis. Um, and then there's, there's a line about how much she loves rules and all that stuff. But she also says, but I'm, I'm glad to have a nemesis, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's exciting to have this like thing in my life. And it really is. You're right. When Liz crosses a line, when she violates Maeve, because Maeve says our work performance is not the issue, right? We're actually excellent at our job. So you're right. Um, it's just a different, it's just a less, it will haunt you in your dream sort of uh, assault, but it is nevertheless an assault that is tied to a sexual aspect. And, and you know, it's interesting for like all Maeve's talk of like how immoral she is and everything. I don't, I don't know. I don't believe her when she says to Liz, I would have done this anyway. I don't believe that. I actually do yeah. not believe her when she says that because every That's other killing that she has been happened or all of her other situations have been motivated by some, you can argue it's like a totally irrational, like meaningless created f- sense of justice, but isn't that all justice uh, that she picks? Mm-hmm. But there's always some like reason that she has done it. It's like her grandmother, they're abusing her grandmother's image. There's some, they're racist. They're kind of abusing women, it's these kind of things. So I don't know if I believe Maeve that she would have snapped to this point without this other underlying thing. She thinks she's a wolf. She talks there. And the one time that she does actually snap on Gideon at the end, she regrets it. And I don't think, I'm unsure if she will ever, maybe she will do it again. Maybe now the wolf has fully been unleashed. That's the point of the book. I guess you can interpret it that way. I don't know. I feel super conflicted at the end because I feel she is like that character from the myth. She has unfortunately, with the devil, she has unfortunately, she's made the, she's damned herself. Now you to damned herself to be powerless and a kill like a killer who's just going to keep killing, or damned herself to be weak and alone and sad forever and going to jail eventually, maybe for these murders. Yeah. Who's to say we don't get that luxury of that information? And although we don't receive that that super tragic backstory, we are very much given the impression that she believes she deserves to be damned, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And and sometimes she sometimes she accepts that mantle with pride. I'm just like my grandmother, I deserve this. And sometimes she accepts it as her punishment, right? Like I will never be Kate. I will never be anything other than who I am. This is therefore my punishment. And and I think that that's, I think you're very much correct. I, I, I also read it that way that I'm I'm not sure she would have certainly done done the things she did to the level she did, right? Um, she is punishing Liz because Liz hurt her. And Liz violated the sanctity of their relationship, right? Which was work nemesis, not, you know, like, terrible person. And I I think that's important. And I think it also definitely, it it comes at a really bad time, obviously. Everything is going bad in her personal life. She has kind of ruined all of her other relationships. And she's kind of feeling betrayed there. And then she just, it's her ultimate fear is that people are going to succeed and leave her and do better. And then... I can't, I can't imagine it hurts really deeply to see that if she says this, Liz gets what she wants, is in a happy relationship, mm-hmm. and then still comes back to take her down. I, and I can see that, ha- she see, maybe she sees this happening with Kate, but Kate's getting better, she's going to mm-hmm. leave her, she's worried about what's going to happen there, she sees this with Gideon, maybe he'll out, he doesn't need her anymore, go on to some other supermodel or something, get back at her, if she's living, and maybe this is paranoia, maybe it's not. But it is certainly, uh, it, it, it creates a really toxic situation. 
Well, in that whole subplot where she thinks that she sees someone that looks just like her leaving the dolls, right? And then, of course, at the end, we realize that at least some of that was was her somewhere between paranoia and just sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Because, of course, we see that Gideon has kind of been leaving them as love offerings to her. Mm -hmm. And so we do get the impression that, like, this has just been, it's just been a really bad couple of weeks. For sure. And that's not an excuse. Um, and I don't think Lead even tries to make that be an excuse, but you're absolutely correct that that we are asked to consider I'm I'm not always keen on of that phrase of, you know, um an injured animal will bite or I can't even remember how it goes, but you know what like don't don't back an animal in the corner and not be surprised if it bites you or whatever that phrase is that I just slaughtered. But there is some truth, right? If we're gonna use that metaphor of, of the wolf, in fact she talks about yeah. it. She talks about with the tar pits, right? That they that that there will be come a point where you just are so wounded or so hungry that you're willing to to do things that you know are ruinous, right? And of course the wolves are attacking the mammoths in the tar pit. And this is her this is her right moment of of she's so hungry for affection, for love, for acknowledgement, to not feel like she has to be damned. That I don't know I agree. I don't think she would have done it otherwise. Certainly not the the intensity of what she did. So I want to shift to the ending. We've kind of alluded that um that it doesn't have a happy ending, which is actually the part I was saddest about. And, and I think it's why I, and I'm not, it probably shouldn't have had a happy ending. And Lee told us from the beginning, right, that there, there are no spoilers. It always ends badly. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, you know, Maeve is destined to be alone. We even have that huge jack-o'-lantern myth, right, that, that lets us know that this yes. is not going to end well. But gosh darn it, I wanted those kids to... It was it was too much the um the gift of the magi which is like my least favorite story yes. ever right <laughs> and I I really like I hate that story because it, all he had to do is be like hey I too kill people and not like hey let's go upstairs I have something to show you should just been like I have pictures too of death and murder and it just it just drove me crazy but it, it was the right ending but I just wanted them to like decorate for Halloween together and, and kill, kill people. people yeah and kill people it's a I think it's a that would it's a much more cozy and I it's one I I guess I don't know I I feel like perhaps after after everything she's done I just can't I I don't know it kind of feels fitting you're like it's a and maybe that's my own terrible warped sense of justice as being like yeah whatever I guess that makes sense it's only natural payoff that that kind of that but ah, yeah I see the ten I, I hear me, the tension yeah I think it's I think it is what you said though about this issue of a form of, of retribution and justice that yeah. I just I wanna believe that that it is possible to not to not have a point of no return, right? You know, both the story of, of the Jack o' Lantern and, and Maeve's story have this idea that there can be a tipping point at which point you are doomed to only experience the ramifications of your, your actions. And I just I guess I just wanna believe that we can always have a better life if if we but that's not life, right? That's not how, it's, how life it's works. Not so life. I guess it doesn't. Yeah. And I guess it's not. It's I, hearing from reading some of her influences. It kind of makes sense. Some of the like she's references Rocky Horror, which ends on everything being destroyed. Yeah. And like, it's a campy True. madness and wild ride to get there. But then everything ultimately goes away and is destroyed and taken at the end. Yeah. She talks about story of the eye, American Psycho, as we've referenced a bunch, notes from the underground, uh, fight club. Final girl support group. My heart is a chainsaw. Well, when you when you cite that list, I'm I mean, yeah, none of them end happily, and and all of them, particularly particularly, I think my heart is a chainsaw. 
final support group and Rocky Horror because it is itself a subversive text really are looking at the the trauma of horror, right? Sure. And the the lingering consequences that it, it's not necessarily the the blood and gore that is itself in the moment what haunts us, right? It's it's the ways in which we can't escape the tar pit uh, after the fact. And I think that's in that respect it is the only ending we could have gotten. But I just I just can't stand that gift of the Magi sort of approach of like all it would have Romeo and Juliet yeah. like that, just like it would have just taken a simple conversation and this all could have been avoided. Why, why, but, why is it good enough for Shakespeare, but it's not good enough for, for CJ? <laughs> I don't think it was good enough for Shakespeare. Oh. There's a reason that Romeo and Juliet should never be ever, ever shown again. So that's, and same with like Gift of the Magi. No one should ever read that story again. Just don't. Just tell people what you're buying them. Read Mavfly. Tell people you're a murderer. Yeah, read Mavfly instead. Yeah. <laughs> when you're thinking about reading yes. The Gift of the Magi at Christmas for, to your kids, read yes. them the Mavfly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You started reading next to a baby. The next logical step is to just read it aloud to the baby. So that works for me. We might be seeing more of this, of Mavfly on, on the big screen and asked in an interview. Uh, about potential film prospects. She said, and I quote here, I definitely hope to see Maeve on the screen. So no no confirmation of any plans. Again, uh, if you are listening, you're welcome to come on the pod and correct that record. But up to this day, this film speculate or television plans are still speculative. So maybe some more of Maeve, definitely more from this author. So I'm definitely excited to check it out. And I think... That like it's really important to acknowledge the the magic and trauma that are is coming to us in the genre through women, queer, and POC writers. Unfortunately, that's rarely the stuff I get to teach in my classes for lots of reasons. But that's if you want to be traumatized, right? Like it's not Stephen King. It's it's these folks who are are digging deep. So it would be really exciting to see a an adaptation of that. But in the meantime. We will have to return to a, a long-established franchise that we are very close to being done with. Yeah. Tony, what is our next episode going to be on? Yeah, the decidedly, the definitely more testosterone-filled franchise. Uh, we're returning to Friday the 13th. We are getting to the end of our exploration. Uh, we Yay. And for our, as a reward, we get to go to hell. We're going to be talking about <laughs> 1993's Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. So if you haven't seen that one, like I have, I have not seen that one, check it out in the I meantime. Um, if you have not read Math Fly by CJ Lead, do yourself a favor, pick it up. Don't read it around your kids. All that's a section about reading it to children yeah. is a joke. Do not read it to yeah. your kids. No, no. <laughs> uh, but you should Never. read it. It's pretty interesting. Yes. And we want to thank Jackson O'Brien, who always makes us sound way smarter than we are. Thank you so much for editing the podcast and making the magic happen. And to those of you that listen to us talk about all of our feelings and work through our thoughts about horror, thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day. <laughs>